Ross, you found childhood horror. Hello and welcome to JudgeCast. This is episode number 78. With me as always, my two spooky co-hosts. First off, we have Jess Dunks. Ooh. <laughs> yes, and also Brian Prilliman. I'll get you, my pretties. <laughs> See Halloween just took just took mine. I was gonna do the thing. Well, shoot him around the shore. <laughs> Curse you, dunks, <laughs> dunks. <I'll>, well, <laughs> see if you tell me this beforehand, I'd have refrained. Well, see, I, I come up with a word while I'm saying that sentence, so it's not like we can really plan it out. We, we had to just pulling back the curtain, pulling it back. Podcast list. I don't think ahead. Never think ahead. <laughs> we we basically we basically just go like, here's our topic for tonight. Is everybody good on this? All right. No. Go. Okay. All right. No, we're not that bad. But never think ahead. Always barrel forward. The judge cast motto. Yes. To infinity oh, and beyond. To infinity and beyond. All right. Our main topic today is going to be combat. <sighs> dun, 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 dun. Mortal Kombat. Hey, dun, 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 I was having a discussion this weekend, and I feel like Mortal Kombat is one of the best video game movies ever made. Please comment. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Because when you start to think of other ones, you're like, well, wait a second. There's nothing better. That movie's so bad, though. Well, what's better? Someone said Street Fighter was better, and I'm like, no, you're wrong. I mean, Tomb Raider's probably better. Okay. That's why I'm willing to put Mortal Kombat in top three. Okay. Like, I'm not saying Tomb Raider's a good movie either. Yeah. But it's probably better than Mortal Kombat. In my opinion, it's not better, but I can see why people would say that. Because it wasn't, as far as video game movies go, it was not awful. And I feel the same about what was the, well, it was actually the second. Go ahead. What was the second one? Didn't they come out with the second one? Yeah, like a temple. Of- that one was horrible. I think it, had, it yes. just had like yes, the end of it is just had like a dog. It was like Mortal Kombat Restitution. Oh, we're talking about the second Mortal Kombat. Yeah, that was awful. Well, there was a second. I mean, there, there was a second Tomb Raider, and that was bad too. Yeah. Um, and then, 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 let's see what else. Like, there's a Resident Evil movie. Yeah. Um, but yeah, most video game movies are just abysmal. Why is that? I don't know. Because people will buy it anyway. Like, is that the idea? Yeah. Also, I like Mortal Kombat. But anyway, so combat. What about Pokemon? Combat. Wasn't the Pokemon movie? Uh, that. I mean, yeah, I guess technically that's a video game movie, but Pokemon's so much beyond. Oh, it's Super Mario Brothers. Yeah, exactly. That was a movie. Exactly. Point proven. Point proven. Are we forgetting Doom, Blood Rain, Silent Hill? No, I'm not forgetting wow, they're really did you just Did you just do a Google search for video game movies? I did, I did, because I, I, I was just like, I was coming up empty, and I was like, surely there must be something that isn't, no Mortal Kombat, Annihilation, Street Fighter, Double Dragon? There was a Double Dragon? Yeah. Movie? Okay, all right. Do it's supposed to be my job to not do this, and I did it. So, combat. Let's talk about combat, Angry not Mortal Kombat, and not the card called Mortal Kombat. Hold on, there's an Angry Birds movie slated for 2016. I know, I can't wait, right? It's going to be really good. <laughs> what in the world? That's the worst ever. At the beginning of your upkeep, if 20 or more creature cards are in your graveyard, you win the game. Mortal Kombat. Dun, 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 dun. All right. Okay. So let's dive right in, shall we? So combat is made up of five steps. So the combat phase is made up of five steps. The beginning of a combat, declare attackers, declare blockers, combat damage, and end of combat. With possibility to have combat damage twice. So beginning of combat is an actual step and not just, hey, we're going into combat. It's an actual it's an actual step phase thing in which players can do stuff. You could kind of think of combat like its own mini turn within the turn. And beginning of combat is like the upkeep of combat. Yeah, I kind of like that. And and then like when we get to it later, you'll have the end of combat as well, which is 
like the end step for combat. Like they're they're really just there as kind of these cleanup steps to keep them separate from the main phases. Yeah. Yeah, I never thought about it like that, but I like that. Um, okay. In all of these steps, basically something happens. So like declare attackers, you will declare attackers. Um, then you know any triggers that may have triggered will go on the stack, like if a battalion would trigger and declare attacker step. And finally, both players get priority. So in all of these steps, both players get priorities. So mostly I'm saying this so we don't have to say it during every step. Yep. Um, but And those things that happen at the beginning. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, yeah, I was going to say. Yeah. I was gonna say, There may or may not be turn-based actions. Yep. Right, uh, that's what I was going to say is that they are turn-based actions. So when you go into that step, that's the first thing that happens. People tend to get confused about when exactly all this stuff happens and when they can respond. When you go into the declare attacker step, that's the first thing that happens. It's just a turn-based action. Just it's like just drawing like, a card. Right, just like during draw step was the first thing you do draw a card and we okay. well that's it that's combat we're done yep yay uh, combat i was gonna say Over. we had a show on turn good luck on your l1 test guys now i'm not sure we we've had a show on turn-based ac- actions uh or at least that included it and i think that might have been part of a show we did on just the steps of it yes, in general we absolutely had that episode um so and i think this we're just gonna go more in depth on combat itself because it's the most complicated section of the turn the most stuff happens in the combat step yeah and and it's no secret guys for you in podcast listener land we we actually like kind of having a library where people are like hey i want to know how combat works well here you go just listen to episode <laughs> and you can find out all you want to know about combat what episode is this this is episode number 78. 78. And it was episode number 52 where we talked about all the steps of a turn. So that was almost a it's year a, ago. That's a long time that, ago. I didn't realize it had been that I long. I know. It was November 19th, 2012. Time flies when you're having fun. Yeah. Speaking all of right. having fun, beginning of combat. So not a lot happens here. All those beginning of combat triggers trigger. Um, this is usually when people are going to like animate a man land or... Well, the most important thing that happens here is that this is where you tap down your opponent's creatures if you have something that can do it. Yeah. Uh, like, it's pretty common for people to go, I'm going to go to combat, and their opponents go, yeah, that's fine. They go, I'll, I'll declare these three attackers. Wait, 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 wait. I want to tap this down. No, no, that's not how that works. Uh, you need to do it before they declare their attackers. Yeah, so let's let's actually talk about, I guess starting like how people start a combat can we can we talk about like the shortcut yeah so basically anything along the lines of so you're sitting in your main phase and you say something along the lines of i want to attack or ready for combat or you know i want to i want to swing or even just start tapping your dudes and pushing them forward okay basically what you're doing is is per the tournament rules is you're offering to keep passing priority until your opponent has priority in the beginning of combat step so basically if your opponent says okay sure then boom you're immediately in uh declare attack you're going to be in declare attackers okay if he says no hold on i want to do something i want to tap down your guy unless he says otherwise that's when he's doing it it is in the beginning of combat step and if you say hey i'm ready for combat and your opponent says sure it's now too late to activate your man lands because where are you you're in the declare attacker step now right to be to be very specific anything that indicates you're moving to combat is offering to pass priority until they have until your opponent has priority in the beginning of combat step which means you've already passed through your chance to have priority in that step yeah and that's and that's a key thing because a lot of times players are like, oh no no, I want to like trick my opponent into doing stuff. That's what the shortcuts here for. It's basically to to eliminate confusion 
and to drive you uh, to basically a unified way. Because really, anything the active player can do during the beginning of combat step, well, I, I say anything, there's, there's a few exceptions, like Desecrator Demon, but um, with, a, with a very, very few exceptions, anything you can do in the beginning of combat step as the active player, you can do during your main phase. I don't know. I got some cards from Portal that would beg to differ. Shh, Portal. <laughs> Shh, Portal. <laughs> um, so, so basically, the beginning, the beginning of combat is really, for the most part, the last chance for your opponent to do something before you declare attackers. Really, I mean, and then they got stuff. You've got stuff like Desecrator Demon, which actually triggers during the beginning of combat. And there's a few other things like that Angel that gives things like First Strike or Flying or Life Link or anything like that. Right. Uh, you still you still want to resolve those triggers and acknowledge them. So right with Desecration Demon specifically, if you don't acknowledge it, you could end up getting yourself some warnings, and and that would be no fun yes. for anyone. So always acknowledge your triggers. Yep, yep. But this isn't a mistrigger podcast. This is a combat podcast. Yeah. So, so. Well, you want to fight about basically, it? Basically, <laughs> afterwards, we started late. Um, I get the joke. Why aren't you laughing at that? So I thought that was, whatever. Go on. Continue. I am laughing on the inside. Okay. Hey, so, CJ, yeah. are you are you ready for combat? Y- yes. Okay, well, then declare your attack. Oh, okay. So. Declaring attackers, like we were talking about, had a turn-based action. So the very first one is declaring attackers. Now, that seems like simple on the surface, right? But there's actually a lot to declaring an attacker, a lot more than you might think. Um, I mean, the actual, the most basic one is you have your, your headless horseman, and you're like, I'm going to attack with him, and you tap him, and he attacks. But... It's it's a little tough to describe, but when you're when you're declaring attackers, there's actually a system of rules that decide what can and cannot attack. Okay, so say you uh, you have uh, what's a good example? Mog Flunky is an old example of this guy. Uh, he cannot attack or block alone, right? Mm-hmm. He has a restriction on how he can attack. So if you have a Mog Flunky and uh, a headless horseman, well, the two can attack together. If you have only a Mog Flunky, well, he obviously can't attack or block. Because he's attacking or blocking alone, so right. This is uh this system is is restrictions and requirements. Thank you. I blanked there for a second. So let's just talk like Juggernaut, for example. He's a he's a fun old card. He's a five three that must attack each turn if able. That's a that's an example of a requirement. Yeah. Whereas Mog Flunkies was a restriction. Yeah. So so when it comes when it comes down to it um, and you're saying, hey, I want to attack. And this is all kind of these aren't discrete. I mean, they're they're steps. But declaring attackers is all basically one action, even though there's like little tiny sub pieces. It's like your atom has neutrons and protons and electrons. Right. It's all one atom, but it's got all these little parts in it. But you really don't break it down much further. Sure. Yeah, that analogy really didn't go over as well as I thought it would <laughs> in my head. Um, so basically, uh, you're you're gonna choose which creatures uh, are gonna attack. Okay, and in order to attack, the creature must be untapped and have either haste or you have to have controlled it since uh, the beginning of your most recent turn. Okay. Um, then you basically decide uh, which creatures are going at the player and which creatures are going at the, their planeswalkers. So Headless Horseman is going at CJ oh. and Mog Flunkies 
and Juggernaut are going at who? Who's how? Soren. It's a nice Halloween. Yeah. Planeswalker, right? It's a vampire. Yeah. Right. Okay. So then, uh, what do we do? We we check to see if there's any restrictions. Okay. That we are 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 disobeying. Okay. And so we have to abide by all restrictions. Okay. So Mog Mog uh, was it Mog Flunkies? Flunkies. Mog Flunkies can't attack uh, uh, alone. Are they attacking alone? Nope. They're attacking with Juggernaut. Jugsies. That's 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 the nickname for it. Yeah, that's, that's what's called. Right. right. Yeah. Flunk Flunkies and Junksies. Oh. Jugsies. Yeah. Flunks and Jugs. Oh, Jugsies on Jugs okay, cast. Jugs. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I completely lost where I was with Jugsies. Um, you were you were checking for restrictions. Ah, I was checking for restrictions. All right. So so uh, uh, you check for you check for restrictions. Then after you check for restrictions and you make sure you are not violating any restriction whatsoever, you now look at requirements. Okay, and who wants to talk about requirements? Well, the requirements are like what you said there on Juggernaut. Um, anything that says this creature has to attack. Um, Actually, that's one of the most major requirements we ever see is that something has to attack. I'm trying to actually come up with other requirements. Um, usually that's what requirements are. Yeah. Uh, it's a must attack or sometimes it's must attack if a certain condition is true. Like, you know, if if its power is greater than three, it must attack or something along those lines. Um, um, yeah. So that, that's a pretty standard requirement. And so this whole system is basically you have to attack without breaking any restrictions while fulfilling as many requirements as possible. So if a juggernaut has pacifism on it, pacifism says it can't attack. That's a restriction. Uh, requ- the requirement is juggernaut must attack if able. Well, if we made him attack, it would fulfill one requirement, but it would break the restriction. So we cannot make that as a legal attack. The only legal attack is to not attack. Right. In fact, that if able clause is actually not necessary at all. Yeah, it's but it reduces confusion. Yeah, because people are like, cool. "Oh, it's got to attack." What? I I can't. Uh, game's broken. I don't know what to do. <laughs> now, but in reality, a, the rules already got it. Here's a weird one because you were talking about Juggernaut and Mog Flunkies, right? So <laughs> Juggernaut, <laughs> right? There's a Juggernaut. Okay. okay. Right. What? My, my pronunciation. I really thought you were cor- that- you were you were like properly pronouncing something again, and I was wrong again. Like I said. Go ahead. Juggernaut. Juggernaut. Well, it's probably German. It's probably like you good or not. Uh, well, okay. So let's say let's say you have something else, not not a a uh, juggernaut, but a uh, uh, you know, let's say you have a hill giant. Okay. Okay. Um, or or headless horseman. Headless horseman. Great. Headless one. horseman. Um, you have a headless horseman and a mog flunkies. Uh, and I use an effect that says your mog flunkies has to attack. But mog flunkies can't attack or block alone. So do I have to attack with both of them, or can I just not attack? Right. In that case, you have to attack with both of them. And and that's kind of what I was trying to touch on here is like um, you people feel like they have a lot of choice in combat in the declare attacker step. But really what you're doing is you're just determining the set of creatures, which... Uh, doesn't break any restrictions, but fulfills the most requirements, right? So in, in your situation here, there is one restriction. The Mog Flunkies can't attack or block alone. And there's uh, one requirement that you said Mog Flunkies has to attack. Yeah, because otherwise right. the situation doesn't work. Um, so the legal set of attackers, which fulfills, you know, everything we've said before is for both creatures to attack, which seems awkward, but that's how it is. 
that's that's uh, that's interesting. So so what, what if I have what, what if I have a uh, uh, Hellraiser Goblin, which says all of my creatures have to attack. OK. And uh, Master of Cruelties, which says it can only attack alone. OK. <laughs> so <laughs> Master, of Cruelties. Master of Cruelties is a what is that a restriction? That's a restriction. Yeah. OK. So all of my creatures must attack is a requirement. Okay, so right. if so, the attack, the legal attacks are, what is it? Everything but Master of Cruelties or just Master of Cruelties? You are you are not violating any restrictions, but you got to do the maximum number of requirements. So you have to attack with all, all the creatures except Master of Cruelty. Right. Uh, if you have if you have more than those two creatures, you have to attack with all of them except Master of Cruelties. If you have uh, one other dude, just the Hellraiser Goblin and just the Master of Cruelties attacking with either one of them is fine right. because it makes the same number of requirements either way yeah good question it is you like made me like, yeah i had to pause on that one i was like oh yeah and because it's not uh was it hellraiser hell hellrider goblin he actually imposes a, a requirement on each creature okay right. so it's not it's not like even though it's one sentence on the card it's placing it's like oprah you got to attack you got to attack yeah. You gotta attack. You'll check under it under your chair. You'll find <laughs> that you have to attack. <laughs> you have to attack. Now, what if now? I've, so you've got that Hellraiser Goblin out there that says all your creatures have to attack, and your opponent CJ has Norn's Annex. Okay, which says creatures can't attack you or a planeswalker you control unless their controller pays uh, white mana or for uh, two life. It's a Phyrexian white Phyrexian mana for each of those creatures. And you, because it's you're playing Hellraiser, you're playing mono red. Are you screwed? Are you gonna have to attack with all of your creatures and take basically two uh, a two hit in life for each creature that you attack with? No. What? What? You are never required to pay any costs to attack unless you want to attack. Yes. Unless you want to attack. Yes. But you know, if you're like, if you have um. If you have Juggernaut out, actually, that's a good one. Or Hellraiser Goblin, I guess. The example we've been using this whole time, I will continue to use. Um, yeah, and you have Norn An- Norn's Annex out. Uh, the uh, I don't have any other way to say it. You just you don't have to pay the cost. And since since it's an except, it's basically an exception to the rules that basically say this this right here because it requires a cost. If you decide to attack, you have to pay the cost. But we're not going to force you to attack into a uh, uh, a requirement or a restriction that that requires a cost being paid. So you don't got to pay it. Nope. But if you decide to attack, well, you you got you got to pay. Yep. And this is this is one of those chances uh, where you can activate a mana ability without having priority. Yeah. It's one of those exceptions to help pay for these costs. You can do it while choosing your attackers. Oh, oh! So the next, the next rule is probably one of my favorite. We never get to talk about this banding. Yeah, all right. <laughs> Any of the chosen creatures have banding or bands with other ability. Take, take it away, Brian. <laughs> you announce you you announce which are banded to which. All right, this is we're not going to start my atta- I'm going to start my attacks from now on being like, and none of my creatures are banded. That would be awesome, right? <laughs> none of my creatures are banded together. Um, this is not going to be on an L1 test. Uh, it's probably not going to be on an L2 it's test. It's not going to be on an L2 test. I have been I have been asked exactly one question about banding in a tournament setting, and it was judge what the f is banding, <laughs> and but he didn't censor himself. And it was just kind of one of these things where I was just so taken aback because he had a counterspell in his hand. His opponent was casting a wall of caltrops from Legends, and he was like, I I need to know what this is so I can know if I need to counter it or not. Huh. <laughs> and 
Yeah, banding is actually really hard to explain without giving examples. But anyway, exercise for the interested listener. Go find out what banding is. Maybe we'll you know send us an email, make us answer it on the air. I don't know. But, mm. yeah, <laughs> I don't read all emails anymore. We're going to have so many oh, emails right. now that are just like, can you please explain banding? And a banding's oh, not no. going to get on. Oh, I know what banding is. I was banding different from bands with others. We, we've said for a year now that we'll do a show on those obsolete things, and we will, but we will not soon. Of these bands with other. Banding no, bands we with other. We're, we're not going to do it. Not going to happen. Maybe fading. All of those... All of those those rare lands from legends it's like all your legends all your red legends all came blue legends with have bands with other blue yeah. legends so bad we'll also do island home just because <laughs> just because it's obsolete and doesn't exist anymore or substance yeah yeah it's not even in the rules anymore all right so to summarize declare attackers choose your set of creatures that can attack look at all the restrictions and requirements tap them Decide who they're attacking. You do that first, actually. Uh, you know, you can split it between players or planeswalkers. Uh, if it's two-headed giant, you are attacking your opposing team. You do not attack a specific head. You attack the team as a whole. And we'll touch on that a little bit more throughout this podcast. If there's any costs to pay, you pay them. And then the creatures become attacking and players get priority. And triggers go on the stack. Yep. Okay. Whenever, yeah, and that's and that's actually when it's like whenever this is declared as an attacker or whenever so and so attacks. Yes. It's it is now boom. This is an attacking creature. It triggers your um uh, battle cries. Trigger your exalteds. Trigger all that all that good stuff at this particular point. So let's say I had a card that said uh, whenever this card this creature attacks, put a zombie from your hand into play, tapped and attacking. And I have headless horse in it, horseman in my hand who is a zombie knight apparently. Zombie knight. Um, we should mention that headless horseman by the way is a vanilla two two. For the people who don't know what Headless Horseman is, for some reason, from Legends. I know. Um, two and a black. Two and a black, two, two. So say I have that in play, and when this creature attacks, it lets me put a zombie in my hand, tapped and attacking. What's the deal? Oh, because that creature attacked? Yeah, did that? What is, uh, does it trigger battalion? Does it? Nope. Nope. Nope, because it never, it is, it's attacking, but it never attacked. Okay, and that's that's kind of a weird distinction, but creatures that attacked and spells and cards that care about creatures that attacked, really, it's basically when you declare your attackers and you turn your dude sideways, shh, Sarah Angel, shh, when you <laughs> turn your dude sideways and push them forward, okay, those creatures attacked. They are attacking and they attack. And spells that care about creatures that attacked, those creatures attacked. Okay. Um, anything that gets put into play after that point in time might be attacking, but it didn't for spells that care about creatures that attacked, like Relentless Assault. Okay. It causes you to do stuff to creatures that attacked. So this new 2-2 zombie token that you put into play due to your headless horseman, um, that that uh, that relentless assault is not going to interact with that token at all because it didn't attack. Okay, it's a terminology thing. It seems kind of weird, but it's attacking, but it did not attack. Yeah. Uh, also, when you put something into play attacking, you get to choose what it is attacking. Uh, this came up a lot when Gideon was around where he said, you know, all creatures have to attack him this turn. And uh, say my hypothetical creature here attacked the headless horseman that's put into play tapped and attacking does not necessarily have to attack Gideon because Gideon said, you know, when things are declared as an attacker, they must attack me. But this guy was put down into play attack, tapped and attacking. So you get to choose what it is attacking. 
Now, there's a uh, there is a quote unquote exception to this rule, and that is ninjas, because they have a specific rule that says they are attacking whatever creature that they ninjutsued out was attacking or attacking whatever player or planeswalker. They continue to attack the same thing. So it's 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 basically uh, the easy way to think about it is whatever was attacking you just pulls pulls down the zipper and is like, ha, I'm really a ninja all along. I wasn't uh, uh, headless a, a headless horseman. I was really a ninja. I was never Frankenstein's monster. Never Frankenstein's monster. Although, you know, it's like a guy runs up in an Uncle Istvan costume and, you know, oh, I would have gotten away with it if it wasn't <laughs> for you kids. They just pull off the mask and it's, oh, Ink Eyes the Desecrator. <laughs> it was Ink Eyes the Desecrator the whole time. The whole time. And I would have gotten away with it, too, if it wasn't for... You kids and your pesky hellhound. Why is Uncle Isvan scream Halloween to you? Because uh, he's from the dark and pretty much that whole set. Okay, all right. Screams, screams Halloween. That seems fair. That seems like a fair reason. Okay, plus, I mean, he's just a creepy old man. <laughs> he is a creepy axe, old man. Right? Doesn't that, does that kind of scream? Uh... He's got a skull hanging from his axe and he's got bones like on his belt. Right. And his creature type was summon Uncle Istvan. I, know, I love that. The old days. Summon cave people. Solitude drove the old hermit insane. Now he only keeps company with those he can catch. Jeez. <laughs> If doesn't if something if something doesn't scream like like this guy a movie could be made about this guy and the best you know, thing about him is he's not legendary like nope. there are multiple Uncle Isvans out there there are like you introduce it to my uncle Isvan and my other uncle Isvan and he's one black 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 so for all you people that want to play your devotion decks this guy right here triple black in his mana cost yeah, he's really good okay all right declare blockers. That's the next step. Declaring blockers. Uh, it's it's sort of like just like declare attackers, only blocking. Yeah, it really is. The first step of declaring blockers is almost everything we just said. Uh, restrictions, you know, this guy has to block. Um, this creature must be blocked. Those are, those are uh, requirements, but... Uh, restrictions can't block alone, like uh, Mog Flunkies, things like that. It's basically the exact same. Uh, so have a, something to point have out about Mog Flunkies not blocking alone. There's sometimes some misconception with players. They think that that means that it can't block a single creature unless another creature is blocking that single creature. So if you attack with a 2-2 and I want to block with my Mog Flunkies... Oh, you got to double uh, block? Uh, you don't have to double block as long as something else is also blocking. It doesn't have to be blocking the same creature. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I, I have heard that confusion. So, yeah, with the tag, let's, let's say you have a childhood horror with threshold, which childhood horror gets plus two, plus two, and can't block. That would be if a restriction, if I ever heard one. That, that's, a, that's a restriction, <laughs> yeah, right. It's not, a, it's not a requirement, it's a restriction. So, it's not going to be able to block. Uh, so the next step, though, this is the one where people get a little messed up, uh, and that is the damage assignment order, which is different from the damage assignment. So after you do all your, your basic saying, hey, this row is blocking, the next step is that um, so the attacker has to say for each creature that's blocking, they has to say, I'm going to kill them in this order. So if my opponent has... Uh, headless horseman and frankenstein's monster and the frankenstein's monster is a 4-4 at that time i can i get to order them however i want and i'm attacking with a uh let's just say a 2-2 um I, I have to say though right now before anything else happens i have to say i'm gonna kill 
Frankenstein's monster first, Headless Horseman second. We get to know this before any damage is dealt, so that later on, when players have priority, the blocking player gets to know, hey, you know, I should giant growth the Frankenstein's monster, and that way both my creatures will survive or whatever. Sam, got, a, got a question. Yeah. How did, how did you get Frankenstein monster to a 4-4? Doesn't he, can't he get plus one, plus one counters too? He does, but he's a 0-1, man. Like, doesn't he get plus zero, plus one counters? He gets plus, no, it's plus two, plus zero, oh, or plus zero, plus two oh, counters. Oh, stupid me, that he only gets plus two, plus zero, oh, and plus zero, plus I know, counters. what are you doing, man? He can be, All right. he can be a three, four. He's a, he's a, he's a three, two. That way he'll actually plus die two, to attacking two, two. <laughs> Sorry, man, I was just, I was just, yeah, I was just using an example. Um, yeah. ah, this card's miserable to read. It is. Frankenstein's monster is the best. Someone monster. I like that. It yes. just now occurs to me that we're doing all these Halloween-themed creatures, and nobody's mentioned anything from Innistrad yet. I know. It's, I think it was kind of sort of intentional. <laughs> right? Because it's, it's just uh, too soon. we got to go back into like the old, old yeah. days. I mean, really, Headless Horseman. It's just, it's just you old fogies reminiscing is what this is. It is. Hey. What's more Halloween-y than Frankenstein's monster? And Headless Horseman and Uncle Istvan. <laughs> That's right. There's nothing more Halloween-y than Uncle Istvan. Well, maybe not in your house, but in my <laughs> house. Uh, yeah, yeah. Damage time in order. Okay. So I think I got that out. Uncle Istvan also says Thanksgiving. <laughs> <laughs> and just all the family gatherings. Thanksgiving and Christmas. Christmas. I mean, you know. Now, if you can work Easter in there, I'll Easter, be impressed. Yom Kippur. You know. It's... It's all of them. He's just, yeah. Next all right. Step. If you have a creature that can block multiple creatures, like uh, the new hundred hand in one, then you do the exact same thing again. You say, you know, my guy's blocking all yours. I'm going to kill these attackers in this order. So do the reverse thing. And so basically, basically what that what that means is, and we've I guess we've said it before, and someone commented on the forums that they kind of like this is, if you think about it as the bad guys, the multiple blockers are going to get in a line, and you're basically going to like a like one of those old kung fu movies, and you're gonna you're gonna take out the first guy before you move to the second guy, and you're gonna take out the second guy before you move on to the third, and that's basically what the damage uh, assignment ordering is there to do is to give everyone a rough idea of what's going to die in combat because otherwise like damage prevention spells are kind of useless in multiple blocker situations yeah maybe they're weird so yeah um one one other thing uh and i know this you may not think this will come up but i had this question the other day you have to assign all of your damage I know we haven't gotten there yet, yeah. so I'll, maybe I'll bring it up again. Sorry, I, but I know we're talking about assigning damage, and, and you can't choose not not to include a creature in your your order, and you can't choose not to assign damage. Okay, if you have to assign. It. Yeah, makes sense. And then the basic stuff: triggers go on the stack. Blah 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 blah. Right. Now, now there's two. Th- there's yeah. There's stuff that triggers. Now something something of note. There's there's there are two types of triggers that I wanna I wanna talk uh, talk about. It's one trigger is. Uh, whenever, uh, like, what's that equipment that's like, whenever equipped creature becomes blocked versus whenever equipped creature becomes blocked by a creature. Yeah. Okay. So whenever equipped, you know, so you put a piece of equipment on it and it's like whenever equipped creature is blocked. So if I block that one dude with five guys, he became blocked once. Right. Okay. If it says whenever he becomes blocked by a creature and I attack and you block with those same five guys, well, he was blocked by a creature five times. 
you get five triggers. Yeah, that comes up. Uh, infiltration lens, yeah. I know, is an example of whenever a creature becomes blocked by a creature. Yes, that was that was actually the equipment that I was thinking of. Yes, it was. Uh, there, there is in in two at a giant. You block as a team, meaning you can block any of your opponents attacking creatures. Because, like I said, they're attacking you as a team, so you can block any of them. It also means that if they're attacking you with a creature with swamp walk, and only one of your heads has a swamp, well, the creature still can't be blocked because they're attacking you as a team, and someone on your team controls a swamp. Too bad for you. Yep, it's too bad. So sad. Too bad. Uh, this is also land, land walk is great into it yeah it's really good but this is also the point at which your creatures can become unblocked if you're attacking so so there could be some confusion like a ninjutsu i mentioned earlier lets you return an unblocked creature or a card like ink fathom witch uh, says each unblocked creature becomes four one until end of turn you know some people might think well in the beginning of combat isn't it unblocked in declare attackers isn't it unblocked and the answer is yeah, nothing's blocking it man yeah the answer is no by the rules sense of the term unblocked no it can't become unblocked until the uh declare blockers step so after they decide their blockers that is the moment in which the creature becomes unblocked or blocked depending on what card you're talking about yep, yep. Uh, i think that's it for blocking yep and then after blocking you know players and and all the triggers go on the stack then players get a get priority and get a chance to uh, uh do stuff before we move on to uh the combat damage step now I want to bring up this point that's mostly relevant here, okay, before we get to combat damage. But but what we're going to talk about is actually relevant throughout the rest of combat, but is if um, creatures getting removed from combat, okay? So you turn your dude sideways, smash him into your opponent, your opponent throws some guys up uh, uh, to block. So the, the first thing is um, once your guy is blocked, okay, he's blocked. Okay, even if the blocker is removed somehow, okay, and when I say removed, I mean like murder, lightning bolt, whatever, gets gets it out of the way. Your attacker, your headless horseman, runs into the Frankenstein's monster. Frankenstein monster gets gets murdered again, I guess, because he was already dead. <laughs> um, okay, Frankenstein's monster is removed from combat. Your headless horseman is still blocked. Uh, the other things that can remove creatures from combat are like blink effects. So if you play like Cloud Shift or something like that, that, you know, removes it, you know, exiles it and then puts it back on the battlefield, it's not in combat anymore, okay? Uh, some other stuff that might remove it from combat is changing control, even if it's just for a brief second. Um, so I attack with Headless Horseman, uh, CJ or uh, Blocks, we're playing a three-player game, CJ Blocks with uh, 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 Frankenstein's Monster and Jess casts a spell that gives him control of either one of those two creatures, um, that creature is removed from combat. Because if you think about it, it doesn't really make any sense for just, it's not Jess's turn to attack. So, or block. So it's removed, uh, it's removed from combat. Um, even if I'm also attacking Jess with uh, a childhood horror. Okay, that, that Frankenstein's monster is removed from combat. The third thing that can remove things from combat is regeneration. Like if you have to re quote unquote regenerate early, like 
you attack with a 3-3, um, and, you know, after blockers are declared, uh, CJ Lightning Bolts the 3-3, and I have to regenerate it, okay? That actually, you know, that that removes it from combat in addition to all the other stuff that regeneration does. Um, and then with our gods, um, if you, even for a brief second, lose devotion and the creature stops being a creature, then it's also removed from combat. And these things, if it ever comes up, will also remove planeswalkers from combat. Yes. The, the, the one that usually can happen is... is changing control but uh it is possible for it to be regenerated uh as well so there are other things that can make it happen so if a planeswalker is removed from combat it's no longer being attacked uh, yeah yeah you could flicker one too yeah it's no longer being attacked right. but your creatures that were attacking it will do nothing yeah they kind of they just kind of like run to where the planeswalker used to be and then just stand and spin around in a circle right even if they had trample they're just gonna stand there and be like i don't know what happened uh, where'd that pesky planeswalker go? Okay, so all of that, all of that, I mean, and like I said, any of this removing from combat stuff can actually happen after combat damage happens, but generally, they've since they've already done their combat damage, eh, eh, you know. I mean, it, it can be relevant uh, with stuff that, like, destroy, target attacking or blocking creature. Well, if it's regenerated, uh, then it got removed from combat, so it's no longer attacking, so you can't target it with that spell. Eh, but, you know, whatever. 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 Alright. Combat damage. Combat damage. So, so I don't want to. So again, with the turn-based actions. Yes. So the first, the first thing that happens here is that uh, the the active player announces how each attacking creature assigns its combat damage, and then the defending player announces how each blocking creature assigns its combat damage. Yep. Uh, so, so this is damage assignment as compared to damage assignment order, which happens during their declare blockers. Right. I try, I try to be really yep. clear on that because on the judge tests. It will. They try to get you with that. Yes. That one word of order mean matters, right? So the combat damage step. The first thing you do is you you do you assign how you're assigning damage, and generally it's all of the damage is going to that one guy, right? My five five, all five of it's going to the two two uh, uh, or the one three Uncle Istvan that blocked it. Seems poor. Right, which is where it comes up that you can't not assign that damage. Uh, then right. This can come up with, with Boros Reckoner. You know, I, I don't want to deal all five damage to that Boros Reckoner. I only want to deal three. Uh, well, uh, that's too bad. It's tough. Guess you should have attacked with a trampler. <laughs> um, so yeah, so things things that can things that can modify modify that uh, really is uh, trample. Um, so you can then decide. So if I've got a five five with trample and I'm and I attack and I get and it gets blocked by a two two, um, I must assign two. Or actually, it also comes up with multiple blockers. So let's let's say I, I attack with my five five, I get blocked by two uh, headless horsemen. All right. Um, I can then, because I, I decided that my damage assignment order was Headless Horseman 1, Headless Horseman 2. So I have to deal at least 2 to Headless Horseman 1 before I can deal anything to Headless Horseman 2. Now, I could do 3, 2, 3, 4, or 5 to Headless Horseman 1. Any of those is fine. Then, once, I, once I'm done dealing damage to it, I can start looking at Headless Horseman uh, uh, 2. 
So if I did, let's say I did four damage to Headless Horseman one, I can then, I have one left I can deal to Headless Horseman two. Or I can assign where the smart thing is I do two to one Headless Horseman, two to the other Headless Horseman, and because my guy magically has trample in this example, then I have one left over to deal to the player. I don't have to, though. I can deal an extra one to one of the Headless Horsemen. And one thing I'd like to point out is there, there are two turn-based actions here. You have, you have assigning the damage and then dealing the damage, and, and both of those happen right after the other, and they don't use the stack. For those of you that are used to some old pre-M10 rules, there used to be this thing called damage on the stack. I'm not going to go into detail about it, but the damage does not use the stack at all for, for combat damage. What, what I'd like to add a little bit here is, um, and I think, I think Brian was touching on this, but uh, is the concept of lethal damage. So for yeah. each creature in the damage assignment order, you have to deal lethal damage. Lethal damage, more or less, is just uh, damage equal to that creature's toughness minus any damage already dealt to the creature. So now Death Touch uh, changes that and makes one point of damage lethal, but in normal circumstances, it's their toughness minus anything. So you don't look at anything like uh, protection or indestructible when you're factoring in lethal damage, right? So if you have a 6-6 trample and it's blocked by a 2-2, it's a green trampler because he's obviously they all are. Um, and he's blocked by a 2-2 a with protection from green. Well, you're like, well, I had to assign lethal damage to this guy. Uh, but I can't kill it because it's got pro green. However, yes. How do I how does this work? But lethal damage is only its toughness. So you're like, I'm going to assign two damage to this guy and four to you. And that is completely legal. Uh, the two damage to him will be prevented, but the four will still trample over. So. And you don't, you don't, you take into account any damage has previously been dealt to it. So your two-two, let's say it took one point of damage just from a, a, a random prodigal pyromancer or something like that. Okay, so it's a two-two with one damage marked on it already. Lethal damage now, it's got a two toughness, you know, but it's got one damage marked on it. So lethal is now one additional point of damage. Okay. Another thing for some of you that might be out there listening that play Duel of the Planeswalkers, okay, dealing damage okay, does not actually cause your toughness to go down. <clears throat> yeah. Okay. In Duel of the Plane, in Duel of the Planeswalker, if I've got a five-five and it takes three damage, what shows up on the screen is it becomes a five-two. I that's, hate that so much. That's it's. It's fine. It's actually fine because it, 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 it helps new players grasp the idea. But when they make the transition to Paper Magic, no, its toughness is still five. It just has three damage marked on it. Think of them as like little invisible beads or counters or something like that. OK, OK, I will. But yeah, you do that. Okay, I will. OK, good. Good. We're in agreement. Another annoying thing I can do is, is use beads to represent the, the damage on my creatures every turn. Uh, I've never seen anyone yes. do that, but yeah, that sounds annoying. It does. Hold on, hold on. I've got to put the damage on this creature. Hold on. It's I've, like got to, up. I've got to take it all off. I've got to take them all off. Oh, no, I'm playing Sapperlings and Thalids. I, I, ah. <laughs> I don't. Modern I just Master's removed, Nightmare Draft. I just, I just removed some damage and made a 1-1 one, one Sapperling. I don't know how this, what's going on. <laughs> Oops. For those of you that don't know, saprolings, uh, or rather thalids, are creatures that 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 get uh, a counter every upkeep, a spore counter, and then you can remove three spore counters to make a one-one saprolings. But it gets confusing because it's not uncommon for them to also have plus one, plus one counters. Right. Or just dice on them to represent the bonuses from some of those other dudes that, that give bonuses based on the number of counters on them. 
Oh, anyway. So we're so we're talking about we're talking about combat damage. Um, so yeah, so we deal the we figure out the assignment, okay, uh, of how much damage is being dealt to what, and then all of the damage happens uh, uh, simultaneously, okay. Then, and this is this is this is important. State-based actions cart the dead bodies off the field before anybody would get priority. That's one way to state it. Yes. Well, I mean, it's you know, it's the Monty Python. Yeah. Bring out Ed, and it throws guys on there. Um, one of the, the things to consider. Okay, so the damage. Um, so when combat damage gets dealt, there's actually a few things that happen. So damage is modified by any replacement prevention effects. Okay, then damage is uh, transferred into the results. Like when you're dealing with like wither and stuff like that, like it actually gets turned into like the minus one, minus one counters and the life gain with life link, that kind of thing. And then the, then uh, the damage event happens, like you actually put the counters on. That's kind of how damage works. I was looking at it and I was like, you know, that might it might be worth having a whole little separate mini segment of the podcast just to talk about how damage works. Um but, uh, no. but yeah, so damage, no, <laughs> I, th- I think we got it. Yeah. I mean, I think that covers it. Like, I don't think you have to go too deep. I think it gets confusing if you go deeper than that. Sure. That's why it would be its own little segment that we could drill down into. But so, so damage, damage gets converted into, into the results, which is damage being marked on the creatures or minus one, minus one counters and state based actions, uh, cart the dead bodies off the field. Um, and we move on unless one of these creatures had first strike, double strike. And if they did, something different happens. One of these things is not like the other. One of these things is not the same. Uh, so what happens if one of these creatures had first strike or double strike? Then everything we just did only applied to creatures with first strike and double strike. And then we do it again with creatures with double strike and creatures that didn't have that didn't deal damage in the first strike combat damage i didn't have first strike what it's it's the creatures that didn't have first strike not creatures that didn't deal damage like if a creature had first strike going into uh first strike the the, like the first strike combat damage step and then somehow it loses first strike i think yeah it won't deal damage twice and also if you ninja in a creature i love ninjas today apparently i'm pretty sure it's if you the, the distinction is if it didn't deal damage, because we we're also dealing with double strike as well. If it had double strike and then loses double strike, it, it won't deal damage again. It's uh, the only creatures that assign combat damage in that step are the remaining attackers and blockers that had neither first strike nor double strike as the first combat damage step began. Oh, okay. Yeah. Sure. So okay. you're first. So you're first striking a uh, uh, Frankenstein monster with no counters on it. You know, your your O5 Frankenstein's monster with first strike. Uh, if it loses first strike, isn't going to get to deal damage during regular strike. During regular, yeah. And then there's this little trick, like say you have something out that says creatures you control get have first strike, and you attack, and that thing deals damage during first strike damage, and then you ninjutsu in a guy, it will deal damage during regular strike, even though it has first strike because it did not have first strike at the start of the uh, first combat damage step. Okay. It's weird. So all, all of you at home follow that? Yeah. Ninjas. Ninjas are very Halloween, by the way. I'm going to use that well, sure. as my excuse for bringing them up constantly. This they, they actually are. If you look at the kids around this neighborhood, ninjas are a very popular They're very, very popular choice. It's because the costumes are easy. <laughs> yeah. That too. And you get to be cool. I get to carry around nunchucks and a bag of candy? Sign me up. 
It's just what you do every weekday. I I know, right? If I could go to work like that, I would. I think I'm going to dress up for Halloween as a piece of candy with a bag of children. <laughs> go as a kinder catch. That guy has a bag of children he's carrying around. Creepy dude. There you go. <laughs> just the idea of Jess like dressed as because obviously the candy in my mind was candy corn yeah exactly we're on <laughs> like the same big, page here a big triangle okay is it is it pointing is it is the triangle pointing up or down uh, oh up obviously up <laughs> your face just in the white yeah part of the candy corn because <laughs> <laughs> if it was down it'd look too much like a slice of pizza and we can't exactly, have that exactly. right chess and i are syncing up <laughs> With a bag of children. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Are we done with combat damage steps? The steps. Steps, yes. That can happen. Yes, yes. So to go back to Jess's turn analogy at the beginning. Now, the final step we have is the end of combat step. Um, once again, doesn't not much happens here. Triggers go on the stack. Players get priority. And then at the end of this step, when this step is over, all creatures, planeswalkers, everything is removed from combat. Creatures are no longer attacking or blocking after this step is over. And what that means is that sometimes you can uh, you may have a card that says destroy target attacking or blocking creature or or the one I've used is target player sacrifices an attacking or blocking creature. You can let the combat damage happen, you know, clear out some of those creatures. And then in the end of combat step, cast that spell and they only have one creature left and it's still attacking or blocking. Even though you're an end of combat, it's still attacking or blocking until combat ends. There's yeah, there's there's a brief window after damage has been dealt where it's still attacking. Okay, and players get priority during that. So you can cast a spell. Now, you need to be clear about that. You know, it's like, okay, we take damage now. Now I want to do something. Yeah. The few times I've done it, I've gotten the wait, 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 where are we? Even though I'm clear because people I don't know, sometimes they don't grasp that, that there there is still combat after damage has been dealt. So again, this is one of those this is one of those situations where it's rare that people do things. The situation that will come up in standard right now where people want to do it is usually with uh what is it a night veil specter um where when it deals damage it exiles the top card of your library and you can play that card right um sometimes it'll exile something and you don't want them to play that so after damage you might lightning strike their guy so they won't be able to play it in their second main phase oh so you kill you kill their night veil specter uh, like say they so. say, say that they've exiled a but like you're playing mono red and they exile a bunch of stuff that'll cost red mana and then they exile a mountain which will let them play all this stuff that costs red mana. Okay, and so, so you want to you you kill the the specter before they go into their second main phase. Yeah, where they could play the mountain. Right. Hmm. Oh, and it says play not cast. So yeah, you could do a land. Yeah, that's well, it's different from Daxos, which is exactly the opposite, which is so confusing right now. <laughs> Hmm. All right. So uh, so that's combat, yo. That's combat. Uh, I, I did so, I did forget one thing because uh, I was trying to touch on two-headed giant. In the combat damage step when you're assigning combat damage, so this is where people get confused. In the combat damage step when you're assigning combat damage, you get to choose which head you are assigning the combat damage to. And if you don't say which head, we assume it is the default head, which is the right one. Um, so this is where things can get weird because if someone has a card that says, you know, let's say that someone had a card that says, you can't take damage. Well, if I was attacking your team, I could just assign damage to your teammate because that card doesn't affect your teammate. He can take damage. Yeah, he can wants. take damage just well, fine. Um, this but, also but I'm losing life. Like, like if you attack somebody with a hippie. Um, a hypnotic specter. By hippie, I mean <laughs> hypnotic specter. Uh, the, you know, it says that the defending player discards a card. Well, 
or the, the rather the creature you, or the player you dealt damage to discard the card. Right. Well, both heads aren't going to discard a card. You have to choose which player, and if you don't, we assume the default. He, when Jess says he attacks you with a hippie, he's in his giant candy corn costume, reaching into his bag, pulling out a ch- child that's dressed like a hippie. I know I've got I know I've got a hippie here somewhere. <laughs> he attacks you with a hippie. Just pull him out, pull him out one at a time. Be like, were you at Woodstock? No. Okay, you're going back in. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so that's the end. Of- well, I mean, you got to set them off to the side because then you might start pulling the same one out over and over again. So that's the end no. of combat. Okay. <laughs> like, just shut me down. So man. since since it's over, let me just say All Hallows Eve, Black Cat, Cyclopean Mummy, because we didn't never get to those cards. All Hallows Eve has nothing to do with combat, so I was pretty sure I'd never be able to work it in. When we were discussing Trample, I forgot to bring up Ludwig's Abomination because that's oh yeah, that's just Frankenstein again. What are the most? Yeah, well, well basically. Let's just let's just real real quick. Um, All All Hallows Eve because this is kind of one of these neat little cards. Um, that from from days days gone by. So it's weird sorcery. Yeah. Can you read the so, text. Well, I'm gonna read the read the original text. So the original text it's two black black for sorcery. The, the text is put two. It's first off, it's got a jack o' lantern and a, like a ghost and a, a puma gargoyle thing <laughs> and a full moon in the background. So obviously it's all hell's eve. So put two counters on this card. Remove a counter during your upkeep. When you remove the last counter from all hell's eve, all players take all creatures from their graveyards and put them directly into play. Um, treat these creatures as though they were just summoned. You choose what order they come into play. So this, so it's weird because it's a sorcery that says put two counters on a card and then remove them during your upkeep. So it's sort of kind of like a permanent. Okay. What sorcery is this? <laughs> what sorcery is this? So there was a while that they eroded this card to make it an. I believe they made it an enchantment for a while, or it was like a sorcery that's type changed to enchantment, so it could be a permanent. And have counters on it and that could come off during its upkeep and that they could gain like a triggered ability. Now it's – oh, this is great flavor. It says exile All Hallows' Eve with two – it's still a sorcery. Or so they made it back to a sorcery. Exile All Hallows' Eve with two scream counters on it. Scream counters. So here's the thing. The original card didn't even say scream counters. They added that. No, it just said put two counters. I love that. Put two plus one plus one counters on it. Sure. And for the record, Whatever. I just checked, and another card does use scream counters, and that's endless scream. Endless scream uses scream yeah. counters. Does it run out? Because then it no. would be endless. <laughs> it says enchanted creature gets it? plus x plus zero. That was the original text. So they made it enter with uh, x scream counters instead to make it work. Oh, and it gets like plus one plus zero oh for each yep. scream counter. That's exactly it. Cool. Um, so at the beginning of your upkeep, if oh, this is an intervening if clause. Yeah. At the beginning of your upkeep, if All Hallows' Eve is exiled with a scream counter on it, remove a scream counter from it. If there's no more scream counters on it, put it uh, into your graveyard, and each player returns all creatures from his or her graveyard onto the battlefield. So it's almost got suspend. This card's not bad, actually. So they, they made it interact with Pull from Eternity, then. That's that's pretty sweet. Remove the well, second counter, pull from eternity. That well, because it before it was just it was just a, a sorcery on the battlefield with counters on. Yeah, it. like where was it right? Well, I mean, with the enchantment thing isn't terrible. I mean, like, but but you know, we I'm sure they changed that because they don't want anything changing type on resolution because that would just be too weird. <laughs> I I know, right? I get what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, you, it was a great setup. Thank you. <laughs> Maybe maybe All Hallows Eve was like a like a dry, early early dry run for 
was still oh surely know, like a decade ago yeah a decade ago definitely definitely yes. yes all right all hell's eve great card uncle istvan awesome play it in your devotion decks oh they will all right guys so we have a contest we want to announce don't we we do all right announce it so guys so here's the contest we're we're gonna call this this contest the Bear Cub Challenge. Okay. And the reason why I thought it was, the, thought it was the Build a Bear Challenge. Oh, it is. It's the Build. You're correct. <laughs> oh, sorry, I, I changed it the last second because I really wanted just to say Bear Cub. But no, I it's didn't. it's the Build it's the Build a Bear Challenge. So here's here's basically the premise. All right. So it's it's well known that two out of three judge casters uh, endorse Bear Cub as as the our favorite is two two. Um and what we want you guys to do is build a 2-2 bear, okay? And when I say bear, I actually mean a bear, okay? Baby bear, bear cub, okay? Make the card using, you know, whatever the set editor or whatever. We kind of want it done up nice and nice and pretty like because we want to put this on the our, our, on the Facebook wall and share it out. But build an interesting 2-2 bear. Like a few weeks ago, we put up the Celestial Bear Cub. So it was a bear cub with bestow, okay? Uh, an example of something that we're looking for is you find a picture of a bear, a little baby bear, like poking its head up out of the ground. And maybe it's got like a little, you know, pile of dirt with a little flower on it. And it's a bear with unearth. And the name of the card is something like Undercover Cub. Or something like that. And it's, you know, the flavor text is, sir, news from the underground. Or something along those lines. <laughs> what? It's the Lion King reference, man. Why couldn't you just call it Buried Alive? Oh, oh that's so much better. Oh, oh. And I liked Undercover Cub, too. <laughs> uh, it made me think of Undercover Brother, right? Yeah. That was great. But yeah, under Buried Alive would, would, would work, too. So basically... <laughs> Basically, you, we're looking for we're looking for a two-two creature um, that uses existing mechanics, maybe new mechanics, just cre- and and create something that looks cool, that looks neat, that looks interesting. Um, the winner is going to be completely subjective. Yeah, I'm not gonna lie. It's gonna make whatever us. It's gonna it's whatever's gonna make us smile, laugh, that kind of thing. Um, make it, post it to our Facebook wall, tweet it to us on Twitter, something along those lines, uh, and it will be automatically entered into the contest along with your name. And what you will win is a judge foil of some sort. What kind it is? Really, we discussed this beforehand. Um, it's going to depend on how many entries we get. So the more entries, uh, the the higher we go up in the chain. So right now, if we only get like two entries, well, you're probably going to get a command tower. Command tower is a good foil. It's the only one I keep and use. Well, yeah, partially because it's worthless. Um, or like a goblin, or like a goblin welder. Yeah, good luck. Or something like that. But why is that good luck? I don't, well, I'm just not saying. So if there's only if there's only like two entries, so this is this is one of the things: exercise your creative juices, you know, humor that kind of thing. We've had uh, uh, we've had a lot of uh, uh, success when people send us pictures of of bear cubs that they've made. You know, when we post a picture of a bear cub of some sort, it seems very very popular. So this is this is your chance to participate in the cute adorableness that is bear cub. So we will announce a deadline, I think, next episode, because usually yes. we give people over two weeks. So you have at least two weeks to do this. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess really at least at least two podcasts. Yeah. Right. So we'll announce a deadline next episode. So you're probably going to have about four weeks. Yes. 
but and should we allow people to enter multiple times? Sure. I don't have a problem. Yeah, I don't see why not. So if you, you just sit back and you have a bevy of bear cub ideas, then by you know, by all means submit all that you can bear. <laughs> I actually did the pinky there. The Doctor <laughs> Evil <laughs> the Doctor the Doctor Evil Pinky. All right. So Bear Cub Contest. Woot. All right. Emails. So so Brian, are you gonna be entering our contest? Yeah. With uh with uh, some kind of some kind of bear pun. Um, well, maybe. I mean, if if we get up enough entries where the foil starts becoming something valuable, I might be like, <laughs> oh, I, need, <laughs> I need to keep it. Just try to win Fuck. it back. Right. I don't want to give this away. I need to keep it. That's funny. No, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna do that. But you might. I, it, like my, if we I see, might have... if we see like a Ryan Dilliman posting entries. Yes. Get a little suspicious. My, my alter ego, Brian Spellman. <laughs> Right, Ryan, you can't enter the contest. They're going to think it's me. Yeah, they will now. Yeah. All right. So just make, make a bear cub. Um, Magic Set Editor is what I used for the, the, the Celestial Bear Cub. It literally took me 15 minutes from download to done. And it included I had to go search for a new template for the Celestial Frame because it was like it hadn't been incorporated into the, the base release yet. So 15 minutes, man. Just still hasn't said bear cub. He never will. I know I'll get you one of these days. Get you just dunks. Get you just dunks. I'm just see now I'm just trying to find a picture of a baby bear in an office so I can make bear cubicle. Bear cubicle. I saw this I saw this adorable picture of a baby polar bear like gnawing on a guy's pants leg like he was wearing blue jeans. Yeah, I saw that. And it was and immediately, my immediate thought was, ooh, 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 denim walk. Obviously, Bear Cub has denim walk. And it would be like the, the Bear Cub Wrangler or something along those lines. No one's laughing. You don't get the joke? I get it. Yeah, totally get it. It just wasn't funny. <laughs> I, I, hate, I hate you and your dry sense of humor. All right. that I think that pretty much wraps up combat and our and our contest. Yeah, let's get into emails. Um, so, All right. So, well, but before we do that. Okay, never mind. Send us an email. If you, we, we covered a lot of stuff, but we might not have covered something you wanted to know about combat because there's a lot of stuff that can happen in combat so if if we miss something or if you think we we didn't cover what was important to you send us an email that says hey you missed this or hey here's the question you didn't answer or something along those lines and let us know uh speaking of emails i think we have some yeah like cj just said so let's let's get right into that our policy of reading five-ish emails. Uh, like we said last time, we will answer all emails, but we may not read them. Uh, our first email comes from the only name given here is Fireswing. So that's what it is. He wrote a lovely little, I don't know if short story is a word, but what's like shorter than a short story? Novella. No, that's longer than a short story. So what's shorter than a short yeah. story? He wrote five paragraphs. <laughs> <laughs> which is a little, um, a little tale like here's a pamphlet a pamphlet okay he wrote a pamphlet uh here's a selection because of the chosen few the few that live on this great mountain yes the judges of mount judge castia they are the chosen few they do not stand for sneeches when these sneeches become uncontrollable the chosen few swiftly and masterfully swoop down from their great mountain with their chiseled abs nice sharp handsome jawlines and perfect face symmetry and with their great knowledge of the workings of the great document of rules they promptly silence these sneeches they destroy them anyway he wrote an entire story like this in five to six paragraphs and i i'm not I think, read the whole thing i think the chis the chiseled abs is the I'm, I'm flattered man i think you wrote into a different judge cast though uh i'm not flattered since that's just a statement of fact about all of our abs okay <laughs> the land of nick <laughs> I, I just totally right i'm just saying yeah you could in, you could enchant change of the rocks to my abs i only have <laughs> 
See, I only have one ab. It's just one really big one in the middle of my gut. Yeah, it's chiseled. It's just one. Anyway, here's his question. Uh, if I played any of the gods from Theros, so Heliot, for example, so, you know, once again, any of the bros whose devotion, when their devotion is five, they're a creature. Otherwise, they are not. And I control, controlled a card that gave that permanent the ability to do something at the cost of tapping it as an activated ability. And so he's not able to come up with a card here, but he's basically saying if some magical card existed that said tap and, you know, all enchantments and creatures you control get tap, this thing deals one damage to target. Or like enchant, enchanted permanent gets tap, deal one damage, target creature player. Yeah, something like that. If something like that ha- exists. And I don't think there actually is something like that. But if there was... He says, can I tap Heliod to activate the ability if I played him that turn, but do not have enough devotion to make him a creature after resolution? He's basically asking, um, you know, so if, if if he's a creature, can he activate the ability? And if he's not a creature, can he activate the ability the turn he comes into play? And why is it different? So if it's 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 basically creatures and this is this is the rule called summoning sickness, basically, is if if it's a creature, it cannot use activated abilities that have tap in its in its cost uh, unless it started the turn on your side. Other stuff that that rule isn't there. So if it's just a plain old enchantment or artifact, basically, if it's not a creature and has something with tap, then sure, go for it. Knock yourself out. Okay. If it is a creature and you just cast it, you, uh, you can't do it. So think um, Dryad Arbor, for example. Dryad Arbor is a, is a great example. It's a land creature. Okay. When you play a land, like a plain old forest, you can just tap it for green mana right away. But Dryad Arbor, even though it's got that same tap out of one green mana to your mana pool, because it's a creature, it has summoning sickness. You can't tap it for mana right away. Now, if it somehow loses its creatureness, great. Tap tap crazy uh, the turn that it came in. Yeah. Yeah. The example I used in my reply was Mishra's Factory. Basically the same thing. You play Mishra's Factory. It's not a creature. You can tap it for mana. But the moment you animate it, oh, well, can't tap it for mana anymore that turn. Yep. Yep. All right. Thanks for this. The tail fire swing. Sorry, I can't read the whole thing. Time. Time. All right. Next question comes from Josh. He says, I am a level one judge from PA and I have a question for you guys. Exclamation mark, exclamation mark, exclamation mark. I was judging this past weekend and and had a what I think was to be an interesting call. Albert had Tidebinder Mage targeting Neil's Nylia, once again the god. After resolution, Albert then moved to combat and killed Neil's Domri, turning off its devotion, Nylia's devotion. On Neil's turn, does Nylia untap? So Tidebinder Mage reads, when Tidebinder Mage enters the battlefield, tap target red or green creature and opponent controls. That creature does not untap during its control is untap step for as long as you control Tidebinder Mage. So what happens? So the, so the question here is it says that creature doesn't untap. Yeah. Oh, just this bear picture you just posted. Oh, oh, my heart shrinks. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> oh, that's adorable. Okay, it carry is. on. <laughs> it is, and it's in like a little karate move too. Yeah, that's a fantastic image. You can make a ninja. I'm thinking a ninjutsu bear because it really looks like it's setting back and it's like, whoa. All right, I'm going to have to post that one in the show notes. But carry on, creature. It's so cute. It's so fluffy. <laughs> Go ahead, post okay. that one in the show notes. People can use that for the contest. I don't care. The guy, I love this picture. I would love to see it turn into a card. Me too. And there's multiple ways you can go. <laughs> yes. A, a, a bear cubbling, like a morphling so, so type. To, to be clear about what's happening, I uh, I just shared a, a very cute image of a couple of, of baby bears uh, that, that are next to each other. And uh, we're going to post that baby in the show notes. Baby bears called, Jess? <laughs> Come on. That wouldn't even count, Jess. That wouldn't even count if you don't say the two words together. <laughs> so what were we talking about about this email 
Icelander mage is tapping down a god, and the god loses devotion. Does the god untap? No. Okay. No, it won't untap. And, and that's <laughs> the end. So anytime. What's that? I said the end. The yeah, end. that's it. Uh, no, because nope. I understand what you're saying. Oh, it's no longer a creature. And it said that creature. Uh, it says that creature to be clear without being overly wordy instead of saying that permanent. Um, but that's effectively what it means is that permanent. So if that permanent stops being the quality it was when it was targeted later on, it doesn't matter. It's still not going to untap. Yep. If you just replace the word th- creature with thingy, then it works just fine. Thingy, yeah. Thingy. Our uh, next email comes from Tyler Buckley, who, uh, very odd. This email is very hard, but his, his subject is, I have a question about opalescence, humility, warp world, and hive mind. So I almost just archived it on that. But he says, before I begin, I would like to inform you that I fulfilled my contra- contractual obligation and listened to at least one episode. I liked it and I'll be returning. So, excellent. I think this is a guy who emailed us and said he'd never listened to us before, if I remember correctly. Oh. Then he also just wrote two. So I guess we know what episode he listened to then, right? Well, but here's the thing. Hold on, let me read, and then we'll we'll talk a little bit more. Uh, so here's his question. His actual question is, my opponent just cast Wrath of God, so my only permanents in play are Mirror Gallery. Uh, that's the legend rule, doesn't apply. Uh, for Heliods and for Erebos. On my turn, I cast Opalescence. What happens? I think people think this question is a lot harder than it is, but it's really Yeah, I think I answered it, and like I kind of looked at it, and I was like, oh, this question is going to be so there's so many moving it's so hard and then i kind of looked at it and i was like oh oh it's not so bad um so so basically um all of these guys these heliods and their these this erebros the they're non-aura enchantments so opalescence is going to make them creatures uh regardless of whether they were creatures already or not uh, with power and toughness equal to their converted mana cost. I was going to say, I should mention what Opalescence does, but you basically just said it. It makes oh. enchantments into creatures with power and toughness equal to their converted mana cost. Right. So in this particular case, it's going to look at these guys and it's like, well, if it's a creature, then I'm, I don't need to make it a creature again, but I'm still going to change its power and toughness to whatever. And if it wasn't a creature, it's going to make it a creature and then set its power and toughness. So because these these guys were already... On the battlefield, that's that's the timestamp. So the Heliods and the Erebroses have the timestamps of when they came into play. This is another uh, key factor is the ability that says, you know, like, hey, unless your devotion is is X, this isn't a creature that that the timestamp of that ability is when that permanent came into play, not when it, quote unquote, turned on. OK, it doesn't change when you're devo- it's like, oh, well, now I've got more devotion. So now this ability turns on or on off so the timestamp is now whenever the the devotion changed no it's when the permanent came on into the battlefield so that's that's what you use in terms of of figuring out what the timestamp is and then he also asked um he asked what happened to raven fox and i don't think he means raven fox a person i think he means when we used to go raven fox raven fox raven fox raven fox and i don't know we stopped doing it <laughs> yeah. it'll come back uh, one day fox, yeah you know the times they are changing Yep. And we're not going to make the obvious joke right now. No. Now I don't know what the obvious joke is. Good. <laughs> so it wasn't that obvious. We're going we're gonna to never speak of it again. Next email comes from Brian Thomas. He says, oh, God, it's so not funny. He says that um, 
No praises, but I must say, with as much cultural reference given for podcasts, the reference is Big Trouble in Little China and Spaceball. So basically, he means with Brian on the podcast. It's making me miss old movies. Regarding USC Minor, uh, with a player uses excessive vulgar and profane language, what is the line that is drawn, or is it more of a personal line? Uh, he says, around my area, we do have some quote-unquote rowdy individuals. Heck, even if I play friends or people I know in either FNM or PTQ, play this happens typically not uncommon to hear players curse under their breath at an audible level or say stuff need one more beep and land my deck is beeping on me and so on and so forth so that's his first question he actually has two questions but so like what is the line there for unsupporting conduct minor unfortunately this line is not clearly defined in the uh in the in the rules uh excessive is the word that's used excessive vulgarity and part of that's going to come down to the venue you're in the people that are around you and what is appropriate for that to that tournament organizer uh and, and the people around um i hate to say that i wish there was a clearly defined answer and i could go no if they say these words it's okay if they say these words it's not if they say this word it's fine but if they say it three times they're done like it just doesn't work that way well, I mean, what's the exchange rate too? Like, how many of one curse words worth? <laughs> right? We'd have to we'd have to like get out a calculator and be like, oh, well, two Bs is equal to one F, and three Fs are bad, so six Bs are. We just we just assign a point value to every word. If you get a certain number <laughs> of points, you're done. <laughs> okay. So just sitting there, the judge is just sitting there with a with a little clicker, <laughs> just every time, click, 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 click. Ready is one clicker for every player in the event. Right. <laughs> yeah, we'll order them with the chess clocks. Right. So, I mean, it's it's kind of one of these things where it's like, you know, you know when it's excessive. Yeah. And you might not know it when you're saying it, but as soon as somebody says like, hey, dude, you know, you kind of have the ability to look back and go like, oh, maybe I did, you know, a bit too much. I like Brian's um, response here because he did not put blanks he used. No, I was actually really excited that I got to swear in it. You, know? <laughs> you did. Plenty. And I, I, and I, I used it, which is... Uh, yes. I wish I could read that. But anyway. So to be, uh, let me add one other thing. Yeah, go ahead. If, if the vulgarity that is happening in your store is making you feel uncomfortable, you should talk to the TO about it or, or to the head judge of the event. Uh, because maybe they don't know what's happening. Maybe it's not happening in their earshot. Or maybe they're okay with it and you should find some other place to play Magic. Like It, it really comes down to communicate with the people running your Magic events that there's a problem. And, you know, to be to be honest, I've I've never had a problem when players are swearing. I've absolutely never had a problem where I just say, you know, they, and I just look at them and I go like, guys, I'm going to need you to PG up your language. And PG is the, the movie rating system, you know, parental guidance. It's for it's for little kids. I'm going to need you to PG up your language. And I'm going to say probably 19 times out of 20, they go like, oh, sorry, judge. And then I don't have a problem anymore. Yeah. Do you ever say I need you to PG up your language or I'm going to have to IPG up you? No. OK, just checking. I did have someone ask me once what that meant. And I PG? was just like, you know, yeah. And oh. I was like, you know, like the movie. And they were like, oh, guidance. yeah. Well, my parents let me watch R-rated movies when I was eight. It's like, and that's why you have a problem with profanity right now. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay, can I jump to the next question? Are we good here? Sure. Okay. 
Um, so he says that Anna is playing against Nicole in a PTQ. Anna wins games one, and they are sideboarding. They present deck, shuffle and cut, draw their opening hands. And he changes Anna's name like three times here. I'm going to call her Anna the whole time, though. Anna keeps her hand in Nicole Mulligan's. While Nicole is shuffling, Anna notices in her uh, black dragon shield sleeve deck, there is an ultra pro black sleeve near the top. And it just so happens that Nicole is playing with Ultra Pole Blacks. Through investigation, we find out that Anna took control of a creature of Nicole's but forgot to return it as a mistake. Would both be given a tournament error deck, deck list game loss? Uh, unfortunately, yes. This is this is a situation where one player is playing with a card that's not in their deck, and another player is playing with a card that's, that's 59 cards, or a deck that's 59 cards. Now, because of the sideboarding rules changes, if they had managed to board their deck up to 60 cards, they it might be possible that we're only giving one of these players a game loss. But normally, both of them are going to end up with a game loss here. It's both players' responsibility to make sure that their deck is correct when they present it. I, I would probably... Like after you've presented your card, after you've presented your deck, and you you know, you draw the cards, and you realize that, um, hey, I've got a sideboard card in my deck, and it's the opening. Um, there is an option in the IPG. It says uh, if a player notices a problem and calls a judge on themselves before it could become uh, uh, before they could gain an advantage, um, then the head judge has the option to downgrade. So I don't think it is definitely it's definitely a deck deckless problem. Okay, uh, as to whether or not it is uh, uh, whether you as the floor judge think it's appropriate to talk to the head judge to see if he wishes to downgrade, uh, then then that's, as a floor judge, that's what you could do. Um, I, I wouldn't downgrade that, and here's why. Because let's say that you give the player notices that they've got one of their opponent's card in their deck, cards in their deck, and they call a judge. Uh, you're still going to end up giving their opponent a game loss because their opponent didn't call a judge on themselves, right? So if you are downgrading in that situation, you're incentivizing a player to go ahead and scoop up his opponent's pacifism with the rest of his cards. See, I would look at it. I would look at it as, and again, this is a kind of it's it's a had to be there, you know, depending on what kind of words and stuff like that. I would actually I I would consider uh, downgrading. And because as for the pair of them, because it doesn't it doesn't feel right to me for it's the exact same problem. Uh, and, and you're taking you're taking one approach, which is it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to give one the game loss and not one to the other. And I agree. I 100 percent agree with that. Um, in this particular case, though, I, I would probably uh, reading it again, getting a vibe for the situation. I might be like, you know, well, I'm going to downgrade uh, uh, for you. And since it's really the same problem, we're going to just go with a warning for both of you and go on. But you are correct um, in that. I mean, the downgrade is an option for the head judge. Uh, I don't, not I don't like it. I mean, so what are you going to do? You're going to have the mulligan like that player can't have drawn that card in their opening hand now. Like, the you know, let's say that card was a pacifism and I'm afraid they're playing pass. They're, they're going to have that pacifism in their opening hand and played against me. So I do this. I call a judge, get it downgraded. Now I know they don't have pacifism in their hand. Like, I just don't like it. Well, to me, this doesn't seem too far from um, discovering a sideboard card in your opening hand. Well, the right. difference is that I'm denying my opponent the ability to draw that card. Well, but since since whatever fix we do has to be done to both, uh, yeah, I would say it's basically the same fix there. So fix the decks, um, have them mulligan. Force both to mulligan? Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's my thought here. Okay. Maybe. Hmm. I don't know. It's an interesting situation. This is another example of judges not always agreeing in those in those corners of what should be done. And that's OK. Yeah. Uh, it's, it, things like this come up very rarely. But when they do come up, a judge is supposed to use their discretion based on the situation. So 
and that's the that's the other reason why when you do this type of stuff, get the head judge involved, okay? Because because uh, uh, actually the the IPG actually says it's it's recommended that you get the head judge involved for any infraction uh, where game loss is involved. Um, so or specifically in the case of like tardiness and deck dexterous problems, it says you can tell them after the fact, but it actually recommends that you you uh, you 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 interact with him on those as well. All right, <clears throat> let's move on to our final question from Adam Wilson. He says, hey, guys, I love the show and all the knowledge you all impart about magic. Just a few questions tonight. He says uh, he has three separate questions here. So the first is, what is the best way to random randomly choose cards for discard? An example would be when I attack a player with Hypnotic Spectre. Hey, dun, dun, dun. Um, I would say dice. Yeah, some dice. Yeah, you get you get into when this when this question gets asked on the on the on the judge forums, you know, someone will say someone invariably says like, oh, well, letting the opponent pick the cards awful because he's been able to watch your face and blah, blah, blah. And he'll be able to get a read on what card is. It's just use a dice. (laughs) Yeah, just bypass all that or really just whatever you're comfortable with. If you don't want to bust out a dice, just be like, here, pick pick one. I don't know how you'd ever bust out a dice. Shut up. You shut up. Um, you shut up, porculus. <laughs> all right, you got me. Yeah, um, yeah and I'm, I'm not going to lie. If I'm walking by and somebody's fanned out seven cards and their opponent's like this one and this one, I don't care. But if I am asked to randomly choose a card, which comes up sometimes like in pro- improperly drawing a start game, things like that, uh, I'm going to roll I'm going to roll a die. So there's no question of uh, randomness there. Uh, his next question is, if my opponent has a foreign language card and I play a spell that lets me see their hand, how much about that spell or spells are they required to tell me? So this this gets into the um, into the communication policy. OK, and card name is free information. Your opponent is required to answer uh, uh, without omission. What's the name of that card? In okay. English, I assume. In yeah. <laughs> what is the English name of that card? Yes. Yeah. So, so that's what he's got to tell you at competitive. If he get, and you go, well, what's that do? Okay, and he chooses to answer. What he says must be true. It does not need to be complete. Okay, so if he said, if it's a, if it's a card where it's like, uh, uh, what's that? What's that uh, card that lets you gain control and then scry? Uh, portent of betrayal. Yeah, that's right. Is that it? Okay, so you go. You you've got a Japanese one of those. So the so the card name is squiggly mark, squiggly mark line hashtag whatever. Um, and you go. Well, what's that card? He goes Porton of Betrayal. Well, what's that do? Oh, let's me scry one. That's that's a valid answer. And he goes. Is that all? Sorry, well, if you want to know more, call a judge. <laughs> and the judge judge will come over. Judge can I have the Oracle text for Porton of Betrayal. Yeah, here it is. Um, at F and M though. Okay. Uh, uh, the card text is all derived information, which is what card text is, is free inform is considered free information. So it's important of betrayal do. It's like, uh, it lets me scry one. Is that all that it does? Uh, no, it, it's gain control of creature. And then if he calls a judge, I'm going to fuss. And it's like, you need to tell him the full text of the card. So there you go. Okay. His next one. Lastly, what is the difference between exiling cards face up and face down? And who can see them depending on who controls the effect that causes the X? Who can see them? So um, a card, cards that are exiled, uh, cards that are exiled are, are by default exiled face up. 
Uh, so anybody can see them. Um, if it's exiled face down, no one can see it unless an effect specifically uh, says you can look at it. Um, so uh, an example is like Grimoire Thief. You get to exile cards and then you can look at those cards. Um, now, here's the, the, the kind of neat thing about it is, though, if an effect ever let you look at the cards that are exiled face down, even if that card goes away, you're still allowed to look at those cards. Um, fancy. Fancy. And if you've got a Grimoire Thief and you've exiled cards and then I steal your Grimoire Thief, now we both can look at those cards. And for the record, that trick does not work with Clone Shell. Clone Shell doesn't let you look at the card. Right. So so even though what I'm the player that played Clone Shell, I get to look at the card because I've seen it already. If my opponent gets control of my Clone Shell, he can't look at those cards. Nothing on Clone Shell actually lets you look at that card mm-hmm. other than the fact that you got to choose that card when you played it or when you when you exiled it face down. An, an interesting note, uh, Clone Shell is actually the reason that this rule was added to the to, to the comp rules, uh, because prior to that rule being added to the comp rules, people could get disqualified for looking at the cards under uh, Clone Shell. No, this was I don't just, know, I don't this know was just a happened, recent change. But... This was just a recent change about you being able to look at uh, face down stuff. Uh, yeah, I think it was um there was a card in in the Demir card. I think she yeah. was the cause of this, but I do remember Clone Shell being an issue. Remember they yeah, changed the RPG and I thought be, they added this line at that nah, point. It used to be hidden... No, what what you're thinking of is, so it used to be hidden information violation if you if you looked at a card that you... if you intentionally looked at a card that you weren't allowed to see, which is like Clone Shell, but then they basically added uh, that said if you look at a card that you previously had access to, then it was never considered hidden information violation. And that's back when hidden information violation was rolled into, you know, like a separate infraction for cheating. So it was it was an IPG thing, not a comp rules thing. Yeah, a Bane Alley Broker is who I'm thinking of. I think it was when she came out is when they made the change. So gate crash or return to Ravnica. Yeah, this is this is this is much much more recent than Clone Shell because it actually okay. makes some of the remind some of the rules text for Hideaway obsolete. Ooh, we're nerding out, guys, <laughs> listeners. This is this is Judge Nerdfire right here at his finest. Well, so what we have finest. The by finest, I mean, we're still going to fight about this after the podcast ends. Nope. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> just as like, or just, he's just like, I control the call. We're hanging up. I need to go to sleep. <laughs> All right, guys. Um, yeah, let's go into our contact information. So if you want to send us an email with a question or comment or concern, or send us a contest entry. You can do all of that at judgecast at gmail.com. You can also do all of those things on facebook.com slash judgecast or twitter.com slash judgecast. Or visit our website at judgecast.com. But there's no real easy way to submit contest entries there. I feel like I missed something, but I guess I didn't. All right, you guys have anything else you want to say before we wrap up? Nope. nope. Enter the contest, Bear Cubs. Happy Halloween. Spooky. Spooky. Okay, all right. Uh, my name's CJ Schrader. I keep it spooky. My name's Jess Dunks. <laughs> I keep it scary. Uh, now the pressure's on me to, like, do it. I keep it fun. My name's Ryan Perlin, and I keep it fair and fun. <laughs> Hello. 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 Now, now we got my dog barking. Great. Yeah, I mean, a lot of black aggressive creatures can't block. Yeah, and true. they're actually just just fine as long as you're not on the back foot. Like, 
Arachnos Cackler, for example, whenever Marina plays that, she played Black Red Zombies for a while. Whenever she plays Arachnos Cackler, she claims it's Arachnos Cackler in her hand. But uh, once you play it, you have to choose whether it's Arachnos Attackler or Arachnos Blockler. <laughs> 